Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Talking Trotters, a podcast looking at the week's development from Baltimore's Football Club from the point of view of a few of us White's fans. I'm Chris Ida, Jim Bailey, sadly absent for this week. Fortunately, we've got Danny Rowe and we've got Aunt Bonnie as well. And over the phone, we've got Chris Price. Evening, Chris. How do? How do? How are you? By the way... Happy New Year, lads, before yeah, we start. That's, that's exactly what I was going to go on. Happy New Year to everybody in here, and indeed to the listeners as well. Hope you've had a very good Christmas and New Year period, but business is back again as per usual, and my word, we've got plenty to discuss, Both. haven't we? You know what I said... We always look at the week's developments. It's more like three or four weeks we've got to look at. <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> well, we'll start with a win, which is a very good place to start as any. This occurred on the 21st of September, December, as Bolton Wanderers took on Southend United. Bottom of the table clash. Bolton Wanderers come away with a 3-2 victory. Didn't start off very well, admittedly, because they trailed inside 10 minutes as Ari Lennon edited home on Mark to give United the lead. Joel Dodd, who equalised nine minutes before the break before Luke Murphy put the Whites in front in first half stoppage time with an outstanding volley that flew into Nathan Bishop's bottom corner. The Trotters extended their lead on 64 minutes when Daryl Murphy pounced on a mistake to run clear and slot home. Although Timothy Dieng set up a tense finish by making it 3-2 with a header with nine minutes to play, the Trotters held on and recorded their first victory in five weeks. What a nice presence, what a nice early presence, I should say, that Bolton ended up getting as a result. Yeah, it was for some. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, like, you can put me further down for this one, I think. I'm not involved in this bit. All right. <laughs> is, that, is that because Joel was commentating? Yeah, that, that's exactly how I was doing all the Wanderers' wins. So you can go and do the show yourself from here on. Again, yeah? When are you going to pick up your first win? Oh, there it is. I don't know. That's, uh, when are the Aussie bushfires going to get fussed out? I don't know. That's the eternal question, isn't it? Let's hope it's soon. I think that's the, 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 the big answer. You know, let, let's keep fingers crossed that both the bushfires get put out very, very soon and that uh, Bolton get the first win under my commentary. So, you know, let's, let's, let's hope for an early one starting at Rochdale this Saturday. I was going to say, Joe did actually get a loss, didn't he, against Burton? So, yeah, so his only one slipped a little bit as a yeah. result of that. Mind you, talking about the South End game, it was a great result. But although, Danny, you called in to Saturday Sport afterwards and you were happy enough with the Fat Bolton game victory, but you were somewhat critical of what happened after South End got the second goal. It felt like a bit of a throwback in a bad way to the Megson era where Bolton had a lead and they just sat on it rather than trying to get another goal to ease the pressure from the fans' point of view. Yeah, it was, again, it's sloppy defending, silly mistakes, silly areas, giving the ball away in daft areas, free kicks when unnecessary and safe end, a player that I know very well plays up front for him, Stevie Humphreys, you might know him from Rochdale when he's played at Rochdale, but Oldham lad. Very, he's put on a lot of timber from when he. <laughs> he actually has. He's, he's strengthened up and he looks a great player. And he was unfortunate to get on the score sheet, which I'm glad about because I'm sure he would have been messaging to let us know that he scored <laughs> against. <Bolton. Yeah. laughs> but yeah, from his playing days on the Astroturfs in Oldham to playing and leading line at safe end, it was all right. But we did play very well in terms of the goals we scored. Just defending is just not what we do at the minute. And if you look over the Christmas period and the amount of goals we conceded, something needs to change. There is a theory I'm going to come across just after we do the Burton game, but it's one that I kind of sort of picked up upon in around about 2007 when, would you believe, Leeds were struggling very badly at the bottom of the championship. But that was then, this is now, and look at at how (laughs) they're doing. Anyway, we might as well go on to the next item on the agenda. Before we get to the Sunderland fixture, what did you think of the changes that were made, Danny? Because you were there for the Southend game. You had Jake Wright and Thibault Villinden taking the places of Adam Chicks and and Johan Zuma in the starting eleven. They were the only two changes from the Peterborough game. I think Zuma, he wasn't really delivering as much as the hype that he had and he, a change had to be made. Valinden, we've been begging for him to start because he's a creative player and, and obviously we need to score goals and mm. he's a great threat going forward and he brings players in and you want to see that you want to see us going at teams rather than sitting back and defending. We want to be attacking teams and scoring the goals and it proved dif- it, it proved evidenced because we outscored our opponents and got the win. So as much as you want to look at all of our defensive areas, 
is our weak point apart from the midfield of course of his course but that seems to be the area that we need to strengthen going forward and getting the goal seems to be an area that we're not actually struggling for once and that's something that we'd seen in Wanderers teams in the past that we were struggling to score goals and now we seem to be scoring just not defending which is obviously a big big issue big red alert signs anywhere always ring yeah that's something that I think again we're going to address this a bit later on but signings have been made during the course of the first week of the new year and, well, fans seem to be, on the one hand, happy, but on the other going, well, we need a couple of defenders, don't we, <laughs> just to try and amend the situation that's there with Bolton leaking in the goals. But, happily, they did manage to keep out Sunderland when they went up to the northeast on Boxing Day. Nil-nil draw. On the face- five all. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Bolton certainly had the chances in the first half that well, did, yeah. could very easily have seen them collect all three points from the Stadium of Light. But Rary Matthews in the second period certainly was kept busy. And thank oh. goodness for him, otherwise Bolton, they could have had a bit of a, a miserable journey back down the M6, couldn't they? Yeah, Remy Matthews has been on fire though, hasn't he? He's, he's been unbelievable. Fire? Well, conceding the greater goals that he has. Well, obviously. he's obviously conceded, but the goals he saved. Yeah, I suppose he's he saved, he saved a lot of, of of shots that have been faced him, but he is leaking a lot of goals that might not be his fault due to the defensive area. But and I'll keep going on about it. But drawing nil nil, and we're listening to the commentary. I think I think it's something that Joe. I think that was another one that Joe did over the festive period. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, listen to it. We we like I said, it could have been five. All both teams were awful at defending. It was just a matter of whoever got the chance, whoever took the chance in that game we're going to score and eventually none of, no one took the chances and results like that, nil-nil. The most striking hey, thing... Oh, sorry, Chris, I cut you off oh, there. Oh, I was just about to say, the most yeah, striking but... thing about uh, the result afterwards, it wasn't anything to do with Bolton. Well, it kind of sort of was, but the booze ringing out and thinking mm. Phil Parkinson would be a goner as far as Sunderland are concerned. Three games later, and all of a sudden, they look like they're in a bit of a pet position. Well, you say that, but the fans still aren't happy, aren't they? And they were never going to be. I, I mean, Phil Parkinson has got a reputation of getting teams out of out of League One, which is fine, but it's not with the greatest of football. And you know what they like up in the northeast? They want they want sexy football, don't they? They always have, whether it's Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough. They want football played in the right way to the best of players' abilities, and they want success with it. Now, they're not, in my opinion, entitled to want success with it because, let's be honest, what have Sunderland ever achieved for a, such a massive club with such a massive following? They haven't achieved anything. They're not, they're not a, a massive club in terms of winning trophies, yet there seems to be that expectation there that they, they should be, you know, sort of up there and, and, and be competing for them by the fans. But for Phil Parkinson, I mean, that, that's a genius move for Phil because he won't last five minutes up there. The fans or somebody won't like what he'll do and he'll end up getting a two-year payout with a lot of money on it. Absolute utter genius. Well, he's also not favourable with the fans as well because he fell out of Adrian McGinney, the like a key player for yeah. Sunderland, and obviously mm-hmm. a yeah. fan favourite. So as soon as you fall out with a fan favourite, and he's and obviously Adrian McGinney's not playing and wants to leave the club, you're already in trouble with the fans then, and then with the results on top of that, the fans yeah, are definitely going to quick in turn. He's, like, say, he's gone in there on an idea to nothing, but he also knows he's gone in there by he's going to end up probably doing six months of a job. I mean, the club's up for sale now, so he's going to get new owners coming in soon. He might even make six months and he'll get two years of a payout. So, you know, he's taking care of himself, he's taking care of his family. I know he'll, he'll, he'll probably not look at it like that, but I'm looking at it like that. It, it, it was, it's the poison chalice in Sunderland at the minute. There's nobody that seems to be able to, to go into that massive, massive club and get it right. Doesn't matter whether it's Donald, what's his name, who's owner now. It didn't matter whether it was Ellis Shaw. It didn't matter whether it was Niall Quinn. Mm. They can't get it right up there because I mean it's such a poisonous atmosphere up there. You know because the fans are so expectant because there's so many of them, and yet there's no right to be expectant. They've never done anything. That FA Cup win they had in 1973 was the best they've ever achieved. So therefore, in theory, if you're a Sunderland owner or a manager, whatever. Just by replicating that, which is, you know these days is probably easier than what it probably has ever been, you're going to be a legend up there, you know. But I don't understand why there's this pressure from the fans on managers and owners going up there for this mega success when, quite clearly, they've never had a history of, of, of ever being successful. It's crackers, really. 
and it's it seems to be when like he's only been there for a short amount of time and they're already turning on him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, like so that, that's probably because of the, the football that we're watching. Again, you know, I mean, we know ourselves the football that that Bill played at Bolton wasn't always the greatest that you were you're ever going to see. He's obviously gone in there without his own players, which is going to make things even worse because they're going to be trying to play his style of football without the players that he's used to having. He's, he's no real. I don't think he's any real big men up there. He's, he's certainly not. I mean, he had Aidan McGeady as a winger, but again, he's fallen out with him because he was at McDonald's every 10 minutes. Not that he's out wrong with that, but there we go. But yeah, in terms of, uh, you know, the the, 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 the start to his, his Sunderland career, it, it, it was never, for me, going to be a job that was ever going to last. It's a short-term fix. It's an easy payout for a couple of months' work. And like I said, with the ownership situation now, at Sunderland, he'll end up having to probably bite the bullet and find something sooner than the six months. So it is what it is, but it's a shame for Phil as a manager because I know he wants to obviously be successful, but the second he went up there, I thought that's going to end in tears and it probably will do. Yeah, I've got a mate on a course I'm going on and he uh, he has another mate of his who's a Sunderland fan and when he found out Parky was going to get the job, my mate yeah. had just said to him, yeah, he's not going to last there, just as you say, Chris. But that's the situation with Bolton Wanderers. And in a sense, I'm kind of glad they don't have to play Sunderland again during the course of this campaign because based on how odd the championship, or League One, I should say, is during the course of this term, you could be a club that can be eighth in the table one week and because of the close-knit nature of the table you could be as low as 16th in a couple of weeks afterwards it just is that bizarre at the moment case in point Shrewsbury Town who well last night they played against Bolton's newest enemy Doncaster Rovers <laughs> came away with a 2-0 defeat they're 16th in the table and yet they're they're only about five six points off the top six if you can believe that based on the table alone. But this is a game that you did commentate on, so you're fully equipped to talk about this one, Chris. It was All a right, one... great. I'm, I'm, I'm required now. <laughs> well, to be honest... At least you'd... you didn't get a loss. Oh, come on. <laughs> and have your car in a car park, which was close. And no train delays. Yeah, no, no, there was no train delays. My, my car park was right next to the stadium. Not the greatest game that, that, that Bolton have played, but... To be fair, the way the actual game turned out with, with Shrewsbury on top for most of it, I thought one all was, was quite a good result. Shrewsbury played well. Like I said, a good, good football inside. You know, they've, they, they struggled last year after the manager left for Ipswich initially. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his name. Was it Paul Hurst? That's right, yeah. Yeah, he left for Ipswich, didn't he? And that didn't work out for him. But the year before, he had a, a very good run with them, which very nearly got them promoted in a very, very difficult, a difficult team. I can't remember the two that got promoted, but but with a massive number of points and there was only Shrewsbury within anywhere near them and that year but yeah I think Wigan and Blackburn that came up that season yeah yeah there was there was only Shrewsbury anywhere anywhere, anywhere close to them I think on, on that occasion so yeah I mean they're having a bit of an hangover from that but they, they're a good football inside to watch they had good players on on show that, that, that obviously had a, a bit of ability about them and you know they're, for me like you say with, with the close-knit nature of the table you can see them sort of finishing between midway in the playoffs. You know, they're, they're, they're not a bad side, but, you know, both, it was a point that you took rather than one that you were, that, that you'd, you know, you'd hope for. But, you know, it is what it is. And we, we set the point and we move on to the next game going forward. Well, just to talk about the Shrewsbury game in a bit more detail. I can't believe I didn't make a mention this when we did the Sunderland match. This was the third game in a row in which there were no team changes whatsoever to oh. the starting eleven. Maybe to the bench, but that's another story in itself. And yeah. Thibault Villenden, what a fine goal it was oh, to open the account. Well, yeah, I was going to say, Ant and I were doing Wanderers live and we ended up managing to catch a couple of videos of it mm. and we just looked at each other in amazement thinking yeah. it was a beautiful And Dan, you were there as well, yeah. along with Chris. You must have had your jaw dropped to the floor after seeing it. <laughs> it was a great finish. As you said, he's been he's been a good player for Bolton and I think that's what we're going to miss, the fact that he can break the lines and get in. Darcy played that nice ball through to him and from, from the position is he still had a lot to do into to have the uh, ability to go and lob the keeper from there and uh, get the goal was great to see. One player I pick out in this game, which we'll mention, is Oliver Norburn, a lad that I went yeah. to school with. 
Fancy coming back to uh, your, your old <laughs> town and uh, <laughs> captaining your team against Bolton. <laughs> to be fair, he played very, very well, and it was it, uh, it's a play that Bolton probably could d- do with in the midfield. I think he was fantastic. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. I think you know he, I mentioned him a fair amount of times during commentary, and mm. he was he was very, very good. He was all over the place, led by example as he's in Shrewsbury's captain. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like you say, he could do an awful lot worse than uh, than have a look at a player like that. And, like you say, with him, with him being at a club like Shrewsbury, really, you know, if Bolton were to go for somebody like that, you can't see a, a lad like that turning down a move, could you? No. So, you know, I don't know whether they'll be they'll be aiming for, for players like Norburn or whether they'll be able to get him with maybe with that'd probably be a transfer fee wanted, which I'm not sure they'll be they'll be in for. But you know, you, like you say, after that performance, you certainly wouldn't rule out bringing him back to Bolton at some point, would you? Definitely not. I I, I was impressed with him. I was thoroughly impressed with him and. I was glad to see him not score, but he came close on occasions. <laughs> mm. yeah. Well, to be honest, lest we forget, he was involved heavily in an instant in the second half that could very easily have seen Bolton leave with nothing. Because after Danny Udo had surprisingly scored, you're listening to the match and you're thinking, well, it doesn't appear as though Bolton are in any great danger. Oh, Udo scored. It was a goal out of uh-huh. nothing. And then a few minutes later... Jason Lowe, no arguments whatsoever, two-footed lunge on Norburn, yeah. and yeah. he goes. And I don't think we're going to see Lowe now until... If it's not the Lincoln game in which he returns, it'll probably be the Portsmouth match. Yeah, it's not going to be for a while, like you say. It's a three-game ban. So, yeah, it's going to be a while that he's... I mean, to be fair, these last two sendings off have <laughs> uh, absolutely murdered us. I mean, you know, to, to lose Luke and... And Darryl, you know, especially when Liam Bridcup is, is is kind of in between injury and, and sort of playing at centre back, you know, it's it's. I bet Keith almost be ripping his hair out, wondering what on earth he's got to do because there's there's, there's senior players now that are in, in the predicament involvement. They've got to be better, you know. They've got to be more disciplined. They've got to realise that you can't go lunge. I mean, I don't. I don't I mean, Laurie, I don't think has ever been sent off before. I think that was his first ever red card. Yes, so. you were right. You can't be unbelievably critical of him, but for a seasoned pro, you think, well, why, why, are you do, why are you lunging into putting? You know, we know you're an harder player than that. We know you're a tougher player than that. What, what have you got to go doing that for? And it just puts the, the, an already stretched squad under, under more pressure. And for Luke Murphy to follow that up the game after with, a, with, a, with another one like that is <laughs> that red, The red card, though, was it really a red card? Really? Which one for Murphy? Murphy, second yellow. Was that really I, a second I yellow? Seen, I've only seen one of the yellow cards, so I, I didn't think it, it necessarily. What I could see why he gave the first one. Yeah, I could see the uh, first one, but the second one definitely not. You, you've got to give a warning yeah. from watching the game from certain fouls that were happening in the game, and the referees were warning players, and then for for him already on the yellow card, just have a little tug on him, and he sends him off. I, I don't think there were enough in it. Whereas you looked at other fouls, and you think actually that's quite a, that is a yellow card, but then he just he just he doesn't give anything, and you're thinking is this referee against you because that is a yellow card? But then you go and give a soft yellow card, second buck above fence. But what what I took from the game when Law got sent off is how well Bolton defended after that point. We were yeah. we were resilient at the hmm. back, and for for a team that had been struggling defensively, going down to ten men, we actually seemed to play better defensively than we ever did with eleven people players on the pitch, which was quite strange I to think, see. I think because it becomes the focus, doesn't it? I think yeah. you know, when you when you go down to ten, it, it all of a sudden becomes like right, okay, we've got to defend, we've got something to hold on to. If we can do it properly, then we'll get we'll we'll, we'll come away with something here, and and that's exactly what they did. And, and you know, like you said, fair play to them. They, they, they had to shut up shop and defend stoutly, and, and they did indeed just that. Indeed, they did. And it was a good way to end 2019, avoiding defeat from the three games that were played. But we head into the new year, Burton Albion and the visitors. I had said that this would be probably the toughest of the four matches that Bolton would have, which on the face of it would seem a bit bizarre when one of the opponents are Sunderland, but there you go, I suppose. And well, I couldn't have imagined it being such a high-scoring affair, if I'm honest with you. 4-3 to Burton in the end. Bolton did have to make a couple of changes. Adam Chickson and James Ware replaced the injured Liam Bridcutt and the aforementioned suspended Jason Lowe. And after such a great start in which Joe Doddu and Daryl Murphy put Bolton 2-0 up, how on earth did Bolton end up being behind at half-time? Inexplicable, surely. No game management. Well, like you said, Danny, it's like the defence just switched off. It's like 
Yeah, just take it easy. I wow. think I think both teams were defensively poor in, in throughout the game. I think the goal. That's to be a fair, fair point. To be fair, Burton were attacking at Bolton, and we scored on the counter attack of the Linden played Dodo in, and it was a great run by Dodo and a smart finish. So we'd ideally scored on the run of play in terms of how the game was panning out at that present moment in the time. And then we got the second goal quickly after, and you think, right, you're 2-0 up here, you've got something to play for, you've got, a, you've got a lead to defend, and then the goal came out of nothing, the first goal, and then after that, it was just like, everything just fell apart in front of him. David Templeton managed to pull a goal back round about a few minutes after the second goal had arrived for Bolton from Daryl Murphy. Then Lucas Aikens levelled things up in the 26th minute, and then in first half stoppage time, he made it 3-2. I don't know. If you were a Bolton fan in the stadium, you must have been absolutely gobsmacked with what you witnessed. Because five goals in a Bolton game is great to see at any time, but five in one half, you'd be happy as long as Bolton were on the uh, winning side of things. I mean, as far as the actual timings of, of like the uh, of the major points in that match, I mean, it all happened around that that kind of ten minute period around half time, didn't it, with Burton? going in in front in injury time at the end of the first half and then obviously Luke getting red carded at the beginning of the at the start of the second and I think that was a massive 10 minutes of the game I think that if uh, neither one of those scenarios happened you could, you could easily see Bolton potentially going on a winning the game the way that the game was, was kind of open and panning out so I think that 10 minutes in, in that particular match from, from what I've seen was a massive part in, in Bolton's downfall but that's a big one, you know. To, to have a two-nil lead in any game of football and to let it slip and to then go and get beat is is a massive mental blow more than anything, and that will make a lot of players and a lot of fans and a lot of staff very nervous going forward. Because if you are two-nil up in a game, you know the lot will always be that in the back of your mind. It's like, are we going to be able to hang on to this? Are we going to be able to see it through? And until they actually do that, then everybody's going to be very, very nervous to watch Bolton, I think, going forward, especially when they've got a lead to try and hang on to. Yeah, that might be something worth for consideration, especially for the next few matches that are coming up. As a matter of fact, Murphy, it comes to something when the commentator's gone, oh, I think he's gone here. It, I think it caught out Joe. It caught out a few of the fans. Everyone in the stadium was gobsmacked, so especially the Bolton fans. Anyway, like we're all. In, but I, can't, I can't say I've seen the second. Bewildered job, by. I can't, can't comment, but apparently it was a bit of a surprise to everyone. Yeah, no, no one expecting it, and it, he's left the pitch, and a Bolton again shut up shop and defended very, very well. They realised at that point that actually Burton are not all that great, and or weren't playing all that great in the game. So then they started to attack a bit more, and we came close. We did manage to pull a goal back, but it was ruled offside. And then a second later, the sucker punches. Yeah. Because they go and score again, and then you think, well, we were just getting back in this game. And then Politic gets a great goal, and you're thinking, is what's what's left of this game? Is it going to finish 4 all? Are we, what we what we're witnessing here? I think there, there seems to be a bit of anger about the fact that Politic wasn't brought on sooner because he could very easily have unnerved the Burton back line. What, what do you think? Would it have been better to have sent him on sooner? I, I don't know. They, t- they took Murphy off and Valinda went up front and he was just like a rabbit in the headlights just chasing Finna. Oh, was no. getting, and uh, and uh, things had to change. So it was great to see that Will Buckley was back. So he brought Will Buckley on and brought O'Grady on, first of all. And then obviously, obviously Dennis came on as well, which helped. And I think I think them three put a bit of pressure on the defence and, and that's obviously led to create the way that we created the two goals. One disallowed and the goal that was scored. But... F- to concede the goal that they did to make it four, it was it was it was it was again shambles. Yeah, well, that's something that Bolton are badly going to have to address. And remember, I mentioned a bit earlier on about a little theory I had, and it pertains to something I first saw in two thousand seven with Leeds United. My feeling is, if you get to the end of January and you've conceded fifty or more goals in a league campaign, it's often a sign you'll end up getting relegated. Now, bizarrely, I do have two claims to support the theory. The 17-18 campaign with Bolton, they conceded fewer than 50 goals. And while we know the story, they just about managed to end up staying up. Whereas, round about this time last year, they'd already passed the 50-goal mark in terms of goals conceded. And, well, the whole season, you could say, was regarded as a write-off anyway. But Do we consider them 5-0 drubbings that we got at the beginning of the season with a youth squad? That's ultimately what you look at. If you look at it in terms of solely the bottom line, Bolton Wanderers have conceded 46 goals this season. 
Now, the problem is such, they're going to have to get to the end of January. And look at the games they've got coming up. Trips to Rochdale and to Lincoln City and the return fixture with Shrewsbury, lest we forget, and all matches against Portsmouth and Bristol Rovers. They are going to have to have a magnificent defence for those five matches to ensure that they don't pass that golden mark. Don't forget, I think they've already conceded five to Rochdale once this year, haven't they? So Indeed. Come away. And with me doing the game as well, they'll probably be lucky to come away from that having only con- without conceding five. So I think be your first win. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I think I think I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that stat into. Uh, <laughs> Is it too late to swap you for draw? Yeah, you think though, realistically, we've got a weak defence as it is. It's conceding a lot of goals, and then you, the lone players that you do have in that area of the of the pitch, you go and let go. <laughs> so therefore, weakening you're already weak in defence. Yeah, I mean it's it's a tough one. I mean, um, you know, because they were lone players, because they're now being recalled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's, it's there's not an awful lot that that Keith can do really. I mean, there has been talk on the grapevine that there might be a certain. Bolton legend of the recent past uh, that may be on his way back to put a white shirt on with uh, things not working out for him down the road, shall we say? But that's that's one of those hearsay things that we'll wait and see what happens. I don't know if that's um, a good thing or a bad thing, though. Having Wheaton back, I think, I think that'd be a great thing. I really do. I think having, I think losing his enthusiasm around the dressing room, and not only that, just losing it around the club has, has made the club a, a poorer place. The lad has got. I mean, fair enough. He's he's a, he's a Middlesbrough lad, but he, 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 if he had if he had to have a, a cross of blood in, in your system, he's got he's got red and white blood. Yeah, we, we spoke to him about that, didn't yeah. we? We had him. Absolutely. Yeah, and not only that. I mean, he's 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 gone out of his way. I mean, I I, I love him as a bloke. I think he's an absolute top class bloke, first and foremost. And, at this level now, you know, because he, he, he's coming to the end of his career, he'll be an asset if if you can get him back. He will be a real, real asset to this club because there's a lot of young players here that need a lot of guidance. Yeah, um, and having somebody like Weeks just uh, not necessarily, you know, hammer him too much because he's, he's not. Even though he yells a little bit, he's, he's not one for hammering. He's more like putting your arm around, and I think that's a good thing in football these days. He would be an asset coming back to this football club if he was to come back. He'd lift everybody in the back. He'd lift everybody on the pitch. And you like to say you're adding quality to your squad if you bring him in. So let's hope that that, that does happen, and, and that's not just ESA. And, and fingers crossed, we, we can have a, a bit of a cult hero back for a year or two. It's good that we're mentioning transfers because while the uh, rumours about whether or not David Weeter will return try to gather a bit of pace. It's a case of three out and three in as far as Wilton can be concerned. Seabold Villain and Jake Wright and Josh Earl, they've all returned to their parent clubs when their short-term loan deals ended after the Burton fixture. What's happened in the meantime, particularly over the past couple of days, more so on Monday than anything else, three players coming in. The first one caught the eye based on where he's come from. Mohamedou Fall was signed from the Ithmian Premier League side Enfield Town on an 18-month contract. He is 22 years old. He scored 24 goals in 25 appearances and he had previously played for Dulwich Hamlet. And he also came through the youth system in Italy playing for Lachilia and San Gregorio in his earlier days. He sounds like a very impressive figure indeed. And I was so enthusiastic to put it onto our social media channels, which we'll go through right at the end. Mm-hmm. But my word, people, when I asked them, what do you think about this signing then? They were going, yeah, great, on the whole. He's a player that I, I mean, I've not seen a great deal of him. Like I say, it's internet and, and what have you that, you that you're kind of looking at, but He's one of those players. He's almost like you know that the likes of Peterborough used to sign. Yes, you know, like Aaron McLean and, and Craig McHale Smith. But mm-hmm. one of those diamonds in non-league that you kind of think, if you can put him in the right side, if you can get him playing to it to the, you know, get get you know, squeeze that rock into a real diamond. And by the looks of him, he looks an athlete. He looks a professional footballer. He's obviously got an eye for goal because wherever you can score 24 in 25 or whatever his record is, even in non-league, that's not bad. That's very, very good. If you can convert that to, especially at League 1 or League 2 level, 
you've got a chance of being an asset, and I think he, he might just have uncovered an absolute belter here. I really do. Well, only time will tell with regards to that. Whether he's put into the squad immediately for the Rochdale game, we'll wait and see, won't we? One player who I think will definitely feature is the midfielder Ethan Hamilton. Now, he's been signed on loan from Man United for the rest of the season. And this is the interesting thing. He has already played against Bolton this season because just a couple of weeks ago, he had been sent initially on a season-long loan deal to Southend United. But for one reason or another, the deal's been cut short. And, well, he's going to be featuring for the Whites for the remainder of the campaign. Well, we need a midfielder. He's got League One experience. Obviously, he's played so far this season in the league. So, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a player that's going to fill a hole for the time being anyway. Yes, indeed. And there's another midfielder, one that's even younger than Ethan Hamilton, if you can believe that. George Thomason from Longridge Town. They play in the Northwest Counties Football League Premier Division. They do. For an 18-year-old, he's been quite active this season. 26 appearances, wow. netted twice. The problem as such is I saw Longridge a couple of times last season and I badly want to say I saw him play because they do like to blood youth players at Longridge Town having come up from the West Lancs Football League. The problem as such is I have absolutely no recollection of him whatsoever, much to my regret. The only thing I could remember was Richie Allen, who formerly played for Salford. And I think the rumour about him was they paid him something like 300 quid a game. Which, for a team that had just come up from the West Lancs League, is that's impressive in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. I think, I suppose it's great to see that Bolton are linking into the network that we've got around yeah. us. Yes, so I suppose that's the bigger story rather than the play that we've signed. I reckon the fact that we're actually looking into the local leagues that we've got around us. Chris, you follow it a lot. Mm -hmm. Me and Harlan are following it on our show now. Mm -hmm. But looking in it, and there is some there is some good players. Oh, yeah. in that division, and there's players that stand out every week. Yeah, you might mention, you might have watched them, but he might have not stood out for you. But something's obviously caught the attention of Bolton Wanderers and. I'm looking forward to see what George can do for for Wanderers and obviously why we've signed him and what what a bit of, get find a bit more about him really more than anything. Well, it could be interesting with the under 18s they're due to get underway in this new year at long live last, thank goodness. <laughs> and who knows, he might feature in for the under 23s as well. Now, this might be wild shot in the dark, more for hope than expectation. There's a player at Ramsbottom United. It's not Nick Evangelinos before you ask. Nick Evangelinos and he can score. <laughs> he certainly can score. It's Eddie Moran I'm thinking of because you've seen players who you think, have we blinked at any stage and wondered if he stopped running at all? <laughs> That's the type of player that Eddie Moran is. And a goal or can't save the world. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Eddie Moran is one of the finest players I've seen play for Ramsbottom United. Also, with it, in the five years I've been watching non-league football, he's one of the best players I've seen full stop. He's just such an enjoyable player to watch. Believe you me, if we ever went to a game when Rams United are in action, I'd say, right, Danny, Arlen, have a look at him and tell me if at any point whatsoever he stops running... <laughs> And you go, no, sorry, Chris. He's... Ron would be the best player to ask because yeah. skate Ron, I skate Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Just going back onto the signings, Chris, you know what I mean? All these players that have come in are breath of fresh air for the current squad. Yeah. Well, New personalities. Two permanent deals as well, one obviously yeah. loan deal. Mm. The thing is, you could argue at the same time, is the fact that, well, we might as well address it right now. Of the three players that have gone back, I think most of the kind words will be towards Thibault for Linden because 100%. I think it might be fairly safe to say he could be regarded as a shoo-in for the Player of the Year awards, whether it's yeah. through the club itself or whether it's through the various fan sites that decide, yeah, he's been the guy this season. He has. I mentioned it on the Alternative Sports Show with Jack. I've got a lad who I work with called Bryn. He's a Stoke fan. Basically, goes home and away games with Stoke and he, he was gutted at the beginning of the season that they let a player of Valinda's class go out on loan. He thought that he would do. He would help the squad. And I don't know if you look at Stoke's results since... <laughs> yeah, not, he's they, got a fair uh, point, and he? He's not been the greatest and they've, and they've been missing a young creative player and that's what you get with Valinden. And I suppose he went back. He did feature only for 20 minutes in the loss in the FA Cup to Brentford. But I think... Hopefully, 
Well, I say hopefully. Hopefully he, he doesn't play too well up until now to the end of January and then Phil and Keith decide, you know what, we'll trench our arm and try and get him back in. Because he can't play for anyone else now, can yeah. he? No, uh, that's he's true. For both. So if he's either, he's either got to play for Stoke or they have to let him back on loan to Bolton yeah. Wanderers. And if he does, I'm sure we'll be happy. I think that's one player that we would like to see back through the doors. And going back to the signings, you mentioned our under-18 teams have not been playing for a while. I suppose, I reckon these signings are more to do with that squad more than yeah. the actual first team. Because I'm sure under the embargo, you're allowed to sign players for your youth development squad still and not actually your first team. So I'm sure oh. they might filter through there and then go forward from that action. Is this going to be like when the under-23s played Leeds United before Christmas and you saw Alioski playing and you thought, he's oh, a first-teamer. What, what's yeah. going on here? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> he's, he was 27 as well, just to make it a little bit more dodgy. <laughs> well, I suppose you're like, is it like three over 18 players? Yeah, I, I, I think I know of, where you're coming some from. Some sort yeah. of rule in that division anyway. I think we said as well at the time, I think it was if they're injured as well, they throw them into the <laughs> 23s. So I know United I used to do that a lot with like Carrick and stuff like that when they used to come back from injury. They used mm, to play him young, in those under-23 development yeah. squads, which only benefits the player, but it also yeah. helps the youth player as well. So it's great to see yeah. clubs do that. Just think once upon a time, that was called the reserves team. But there we go. Anyway, it's good that we've mentioned the under-23s. This is something we're going to do relatively quickly. They sadly were beaten in their final match of 2019, 1-0 by Millwall at the County Ground. That's a lot less than what it was before. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> keep in mind, that was the under-18s in the FA Youth Cup. So Great to was. lose only 1-0 for the under-23s, you'd call it progress in some way, shape or form, wouldn't you? But their first match of the new year is away to Hull City, and it's this coming Friday, the 10th of January. So if you want to see them in action, head over to Hull, and let's see if they can get off to a winning start. They do need to get a few points on the board, otherwise I don't know what the situation is with the Professional Development League, whether they'd be relegated from, I think, the Premier Division or First Division North, whatever they're based in but they would in all likely be relegated I think at the end of the campaign however we can move on to the ladies and it's a good and bad thing to talk about with them the first is that they were due to be at home to Chester History on the 22nd of December but the match got called off just moved to the most recent Sunday the 5th of January and it ended up being a 2 all draw and my word we've got a bit to talk about with regards to this match Rachel Undell netted the opener after a fine one-two with Safra Newhouse the visitors turned it around following a penalty in the second after the break unfortunately in the I want to say immediate aftermath but well it's a bit more complicated than that Goalkeeper Jen Myler suffered a very serious injury. It was so bad, it caused the match to be delayed by about an hour. Wow. Now, to my regret, I've not got in contact with Marcus or anyone at the club just regarding how bad was it exactly that caused the match to be delayed. Thankfully, an ambulance did come, and around about an hour after the injury first occurred, the match went on as per normal. And it was good to see Jen Myler responding on Twitter a few hours later saying, yeah, I, it's very bad for me, but all the same, I'm very happy with the result. It's all about recovery for my end of things yeah, now. We'll get better soon, John. Yeah, indeed. 100%. And, well, because of the delay and the injury, an outfield player had to go in goal and Nicole Johnston netted a very late leveller Ran about the 95th minute, I think it was oh. estimated. You should check out the video if you can do so on the Bolton Wanderers Ladies Twitter account. And I've mentioned they've got a YouTube account once again because Marcus, he pretty much lights up that whole video going, ah! <laughs> or, or something to that effect anyway. <laughs> but their next game is away to Norton and Stocks and Ancients. That's one team, not two, before anyone says anything. Hey. And it's at Norton Teesside Sports Complex with a 2pm kickoff time. That's not the only thing, though, to discuss with the ladies because they have another fixture to look forward to on the 26th of January when they're going to be at home to West Bromwich Albion in the FA National Women's League plate quarterfinals. And that was due to the fact the baggage won 5-1 at home to Leafield Athletic on the 22nd of December. So there we are. It's another cup competition for the ladies to have to look forward to. And based on everything that happened with the announcement of a formation of an under-18s team, thanks to Bryn Tracer when he came on to episode 25, I think we have a lot to be very excited about when it comes to the ladies' team in 2020. 
Yeah, it'll probably be the year for the ladies. I'm just looking at the cup competition, playing against the baggies, like I said, 1-5-1. Good scoreline too. Yeah. But they've got an opportunity there to go and progress through this in the next round. And like you said, you're only a few steps away from the final. And if, if they can get there, that'll be a great achievement for them this season. And I just remembered as well, I'm sorry I didn't put this into the notes, but I have found out who they're going to be playing in the semi-finals of the County Cup competition. You remember they went to Fleetwood in November, I think it was, and they won by two goals to nil. They are going to a rather interesting team. The I had a quick look at them. They appear to be based at UCLan. It's okay. uh, Sir Tom Finney FC. Yes, it's a team that they are predominantly based towards a youth setup, and they do have a women's and girls outfit in there as well. But how great it is to see a team named after one of the true greats of English football. I don't mind saying that, even though Nat Lofthouse was better. But anyway. <laughs> better every aside. <laughs> Yeah, But should be a couple of very exciting cup competitions to look forward to for the ladies. And as Jim has mentioned a couple of times, it has all been about consolidation in the First Division North of the Mm. National Women's League this season. And so far, so good, you'd have to argue at this stage. They're above Chorley in the table. That's pretty much a victory at this stage. (laughs) And... I don't know. Now that we've had a bit more time to process this, any more thoughts on having announcing on the 19th of February when Bolton visit Chorley? I was literally about to say, I feel like we need to go, yeah, watch, we do. We need to go watch these. I'm, we do. I'm 100% up for it. I think I'm quite keen on announcing to Victory Park as well. I see no reason why not. So that was a good yeah. day to Chorley as well. We are near enough done for this week's podcast, except for one last thing. By the way, we got Chris Price back in here with hey. us. And first things to talk about, the Whites have been given an allocation of 2,500 tickets for the visit to Rochdale. Tickets, well, you can make your own judgment about what you think of the prices. The 22 quid for adults, £16 for the over 65s and the under 22s and five quid for the under 17s. Official coach travel will be available from the stadium for £11 per person, as well as official bus travel for £6 per person with a departure time from the stadium of one o'clock. Thinking about this game, I know one episode I did in the anticipation of the old match with the Rochdale game was called Third Time's the Charm. <laughs> Bolton have surely got to get something against the Dale this time around. Surely, surely, surely. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm still waiting for Third Time's the Charm. I think I'm on about the eighth and ninth time. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for a Wanderers win, but you know what? It, it, yeah, you, you, you don't that they could they could go and get something potentially. They've had a, a couple of really bad results in, in in the league, and obviously the the, the draw in the cup as well. So yeah, fingers crossed that they can they can they can go to Scotland. I mean, they're coming off the back of a, a great FA Cup draw against Newcastle, aren't they? Where they got like eight and a half nine thousand people at Scotland for that one. It's going to be another big crowd again. You'd feel with Bolton in town. So yeah, I think this is. I mean, this is massive for Rochdale, really, because I think this is probably going to be the derby game, isn't it? Because obviously Bury are not in, in, in existence anymore, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That was always kind of the big derby match. And, you know, Oldham are in League Two, so that, that kind of local rivalry's gone. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a big one for kind of both of them. I think this is probably the closest that they've both got to a local derby, really, isn't it now? Yeah, very true to say so. At the same time, though, it's good you mentioned the Newcastle draw because... Well, that man, Aaron Wilbraham, 40 <laughs> years old, and... Dead, dead, dead. <laughs> oh, there it is. Aaron it's going to be stuck in my head that all night now. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if I remember talking about this when Rochdale came to the University Bolton Stadium. Who here thinks he might have a part to play in the game at Spotland? Me, 100%. Oh, without, Definitely. without a doubt. Bullied our oh, defenders. Yeah. So. yeah. He will definitely have a part to play. Listen, I mean, you, I think some of the social media summed it up absolutely brilliant after that Newcastle game. You've got a guy here, Aaron Wilbram, shape of his life, proper English striker, done the league, scored goals here, there and everywhere. Even at 40, he's still doing it. It's like I said before about Sunderland and the look and, and the, 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 the size of the club and all that stuff that they've got. It's the same with Newcastle. You've got that Joe Linton, at 40 million quid that wouldn't look out of place in non-league. 
You know what I mean? That, that, yeah. that's, that's the comparison. You Quite know, a would you, have, in, in would, you, would you rather have Aaron Wilbram or Joel Linton? I'll tell you what, if I were Newcastle, I'd offer millions for Aaron Wilbram right now. <laughs> <laughs> that seems quite fair to me. Yeah. I suppose yeah. with this result, in terms of prediction, it all depends if Bolton can bring anyone through the door yeah. before this game, because obviously if we strengthen up in our defensive area, if we do bring the likes of Wheater in, partnering up with Zuma, we know that Wheater's not got pace, but we know Zuma has. Wheater can defend and Zuma not quite there yet. They'll bounce off each other, and I think that'll be a great partnership. And Wheaters also yeah. a danger man in the box. When yeah, it's a piece corner. I he, was, can, he command the area. Yeah. By the way, I just remember this about Wilbraham. Quick look on the stats. Wilbraham has ended up winning a lot of aerial duels this season. So if you said already, Dan, he ended up bullying the defence when. Zuma was mm. in his pocket all game. When yeah. He came on. So you wonder if Dale decides to go for the eye crosses. Well, we know from experience that Wilbraham can head a ball yeah. into the back of the nets. Well, this is what a bridge got at centre-half. You don't appear to be missing him a bit too much at the moment. Not at centre-half. You can't. You don't win anything at centre-half. Ball's getting whipped in the box. He's never going to win a header in that box. Especially with the strikers that we've been playing against. You look at Atkins, he's a tall lad. He's scored. Humphreys is a, is a big lad that we've played against. He was never going to win aerial threat, and, and I think that's going to be a big area, a problem if, if Wilbraham's going to start or even going to play. If they're going to be playing the balls into the box, I mean, Brid, if Bridcup was available, and obviously he was still at the club, I wouldn't play him at centre half. I think you've got to look at it two ways with, with, with Liam Bridcup as a centre half. I mean, obviously, I don't know whether he'll be, he probably won't be fit enough to, to play this Saturday anyway, but at the same time, uh, yeah, against somebody like Aaron Wilbraham, yeah, he probably looks like he'll, he'll, he'll struggle because obviously the aerial prowess won't be there. I don't think he'll have the power to, to commit. But on the footballing side, he's probably a step ahead of most other strikers who, who tried to, to play football in this league. So you've just got to get the balance right. You know, obviously Wilbraham's going to need a, a big, you know, solid arc of a, of a centre half to look after him. But, you know, in terms of football, I don't mind Liam Bridcup being centre-half because the way that he's probably thinking two steps ahead of most of the strikers and attacking midfielders in the league is that good. So it's all about the balance in your defence, and that's probably where, at the moment, uh, Bolton don't really have any because they've just got to basically set the best that they can. I reckon playing him just in front of the defence would be ideal. I've watched the games that we've been playing when, when their team are hoofing the ball up front and it's going and and they're waiting for their striker to run to the ball or to head it on. Redcott seems to be that man that go, that's going to it and he's losing the aerial threat and either they're in or it, he, he, he manages to get it because he's better on the ground than and he's great. Yeah. So, for me, there's no doubt about it. He's, he's, he's a midfield player, isn't he, that's, that's been chucked in at centre-half you know, for... Maybe a bit of bit of his experience in the football league, you know, for for seeing things early and whatnot. But it's like you say, if he's sticking in front of, you know, two good, pacey, solid centre halves, then he'll he'll he's 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 a world beater in that position, isn't he? That's his best position probably in terms of a defensive midfield position. What will I, I, it's hard to see how they're going to go this Saturday? If I'm being honest with you, I can't see Zuma not playing. Who is going to play with? I would imagine Adam Senior might come into the into the reckoning because of the, the lack of numbers unless like you say, a certain you know, rumour comes to the fore and we're rumoured to sign Dunn as well. That's like you say, it's, it's another one that you, you need bodies on deck with a bit of experience and a bit of know how now and like you say, if they don't get anybody over the line I can imagine it'll be those two Chickson and Emmanuel will, will full will, will, you know, play at full back. And then I, I can actually see him giving it a go at least. I think he'll be playing attacking formation at Rochdale. He'll want to win that game. Has Chickson signed the new deal yet? Because his contract ran out because we only had him on a six-month contract yeah, due to... Again, it's another one that's kind of in the balance. But I've, I've, I've heard on the grapevine that it's, it's not far off being signed. I think all the parties are happy for him to stay. But again, it's all hearsay. You know, there's nothing official coming out of the club as of yet. So if that uh, doesn't go through, then there's another player that you've lost in that area. Yeah. yeah. Joe Bunny doesn't look like he's going to be back anytime soon, does he? Well, it's as we said when the injury first became apparent. You get a broken rib. It's going yeah. to take the necessary time to recover from because the last thing you want, and it's any injury really, you try and do the stages of rehab far too quickly thinking, I've got to yeah. be back here now. This is my date. If I miss that date, my career's over. All right, it's a bit, I've embellished it a little bit, but 
I think Joe Bunny, he's at that stage of his career where he knows, I'll take the proper time. When I know I'm ready, I'll be ready. And I think Bolton fans would surely be quite glad to see him back. After all, yeah. he has worked with Hill at Rochdale, if I'm correct. Yeah, he has. I don't think Crawford will be back this season as well. I don't. I think. I don't. I just think his injury is a lot worse than what actually people think. I don't well, think you'll see him back you this made season a point, either. Didn't you? Yeah. Did anyone see Crawford's tweets about the fact that he posted a little photo and it's kind of all bit of good news here, and it's him showing his leg and the strap that he had around it where the injury had occurred. All of a sudden, he it appeared like it'd been taken off. Now, I don't know whether that's him teasing that he may be looking at trying to return the season mm. or whether he is ahead in his rehabilitation. No one can say at this stage, but I don't know. I know he, he's, he lives in Orange, actually. He lives quite close to me in Rent Corner, actually. He lives next door to Aaron Brown, one of our mates. So I might ask Aaron to ask him when he's, <laughs> when he's, when he's, <laughs> when he's pegging his washing out. How long do you reckon you've back to your back playing? <laughs> oh, another two months. Yes, I, I, this, this, that's what I mean. So we're, we're into the final stretch of the season. It's going to be a dogfight. Whoever we're, we're up, a, we're up a hill task that we've got to overcome. And the EFLs on, on, were not a very well. We're very bitter with the response to the, <laughs> oh, <laughs> to the, uh, to the agreement that was uh, the independent panel agreed with the first independent panel. So that's happy days. For All me. right, fair enough. This was the one thing I didn't put on the notes, but we might as well talk about it. <laughs> The nightmare is surely over. And that's the end of that chapter, as Ant had so preciously put it on the official website. Or oh, Jim. That was Jim. Was... That was Jim. Oh, fair enough. It was Jim. You could have very easily taken the credit well, if you I, like, I don't mate. upset Jim. All right, that's fair enough then. But... It's over and done with until we go to the keep more a little later on in the year. Then it won't become available. Then it'll, it'll be a doer again. Oh, I've never seen some bitter fans in me all my life. <laughs> I just don't understand <laughs> the stance. What's in Doncaster? Out of a race track in a football club and a rugby club. And and, and, and some One Direction that nobody loves and any, likes anymore. So I, I never got him anyway. Yeah. So he, he signed for yeah. him once. He played. He turned out for a reserve. <laughs> Why are we talking about One Direction? <laughs> because that's the the only direction Bolton are going is to stay in the league. But <laughs> this podcast definitely does take some turns, lads. And this is without yeah, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but. Yeah, Doncaster, so sour. Mm. I hope one day it happens to them and then they're in the position. Oh, no, 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 don't say stupid stuff like it's that, please. So you, you, wouldn't wish it, you wouldn't wish Bolton's position on anybody, never mind, you know, you know, another football league. We don't ever want that to happen, you know, regardless of what, you know, fans and, and administrators and all that want. I'm, I'm just talking about the uh, points deduction side of things, not actual what actually happened, like administration and all that. that that's that, yeah. I won't wish that on anyone, but... I hope that one day that they get points deduction for whatever reason, maybe fielding in eligible players and they try and overturn it and fans mourn and kick off about that. Who you knows? Putting a blue roll in the referee's room, you deducted seven points. <laughs> 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 Something like that. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I suppose we've got to mention it that the EFL were happy with it. it the, as much as the statement that they released said that although they're disappointed with the decision, they have to take it on the chin, which and then and then and then uh, towards the bottom of it, it said, "Oh, we're going to look at the, we're going to have to relook at these rules to make sure it doesn't happen again." Why get an independent body in then to have a look at it? Yeah, because they thought that they were going to rule in their favour. He bit him on the ass, and then they they appealed it, and then it again bit him on the ass, and then now they I've don't. Said, I've said this a million and one times regarding the EFL. It's almost like it's like there's letters in, in, in the alphabet that get connected to sporting organisations like EFL, RFL, SPL, whatever. In terms of the EFL, and, and like I say, I'm, I'm connected well to the rugby and the RFL is exactly the same. If you look at them letters, it basically spells out rubbish. It means nothing. It is a secondary body that nobody listens to. You could disband it tomorrow and nobody would care. I don't understand what part they're playing football anymore. They are basically a... a I don't even know what, what, what their purpose is. You know, what, what and, and everything they're doing at the minute is just completely and utterly wrong. So, as far as I'm concerned, both have, 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 have got a good one on, on the go here. You know, Becky 
you know, pulled out of the EFL. It's not the most difficult thing to do. <laughs> it's like Jim had said in a podcast, I think it was around about three or four weeks ago when the original verdict was returned. What was the point in appointing an independent panel only to disagree with them? Yeah. You came with the decision but in I the first that. place. If you just wanted to make the decision on your own terms... Oh, kitty. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. To be honest, Chris, at that point you were talking about, I was going to ask whether you were talking about the EFL or the RFL, but from our own experiences of what's happening in rugby league, it's interchangeable at times, isn't it? Yeah, tomato, tomato. They might, they might be pronounced differently, but they're spelt near enough the same. <laughs> uh, they're pretty much the same thing, governing bodies that don't have a clue, basically. Just talking about rugby, didn't Wigan get like two points deducted in the beginning of last season and like a few weeks later it was overturned? Yeah, they've, they've, I mean, basically the, the Rugby Football League have allowed Bradford Bulls to be taken over by people who basically run the Rugby Football League, so... Yay! Can can you imagine if the Mm. the Premier League all of a sudden took over Man City or Chelsea? (laughs) What a conflict of interest that is. (laughs) That's that's, that's the Rugby League with Bradford Bulls. So, you know, that's again another example. But, you know what, like I said, I I can't wait, honestly, lads, until this season's over. I really can't. And now I know we're only halfway through, but, I mean, I'm looking at the table and, and it's getting a bit of a lengthy job to... To, to keep you know positive to try and see if it can stay up. I don't know whether it'll happen, but the, like all this stuff now, you know the points deduction, the administrator. By the end of this season, it will have all ended, and we won't have to go through any of it again. And that's what I am most looking forward to. The politics don't even get talked about or mentioned at the end of this season. It's the proper clean slate. I mean, we, we already have a clean slate with new owners, but literally there won't even be a word about it after this season, and I can't wait for that. All right, fair enough then, I guess. But just before we do wrap this up, I made a mention of it a bit earlier on about the signings that have been made, and I made a mention to point out all of them on Monday when they occurred. The one that ended up getting the most coverage was that of Mohamedou Fall, and we'll just go through a few responses on the Facebook page. Alistair Sweeney saying, brilliant, oh, we get a couple of defenders as well, which seems Agreed. to be yeah. the general consensus with Bolton Wanderers. And a midfielder. Duncan McLachlan, I did like him here saying, looks big and strong on the ball, and he looks like he's got an eye for gold, judging by the YouTube clips, and can only give him a chance. Oh, they got the options to lengthen his contract in cases of Vardy Mark II. You know yeah. what I put in the group, on the group chat? I thought this might be a new Charlie Austin here. Because yeah. Austin, yeah. you remember he started at Reading, got let go when he was a young lad, and he ended up scoring for fun when he was at Pool Town. And then I think it was around about November 2009, Swindon picks him up. And he just seemed to constantly score for them on their way to the League One playoff final that term. And I always yeah. remember a little thing I did with my mate. I'd always send him a text saying, he scored, he scored, Charlie Austin has scored for Swindon Town. And he had no idea who he was at that point. It could be just as fun with Mohamedou Fall. I would certainly hope so. That's Quite a good thing from Duncan again to point out that apparently Bolton beat Watford and Crystal Palace to his signature. Well, there you go. That's, yeah. that's, obviously, that's, that's quite a glowing report, mm. you know, even though both are, like I say, struggling in the Premier League. But again, they are Premier League. So, like you say, let's hope, you know, like I say, even before, whether, whether you get another Charlie Austin or a Vardy, even if they end up being like an Aaron McLean or a George Boyd or a Craig McHale Smith at that level, I'd be absolutely delighted with that for Bolton at the moment. Yeah. Four goals, somebody that looks sharp, fast, strong, looks as though he's got the lot. And he's he's a, he's a player that is like I said, it's a bit of a gamble where he's coming from, but he could end. It's a gamble that doesn't cost anything, and that could end up being an absolute diamond. Well, Craig Kershaw appears to share your enthusiasm. He's pretty much said excited. He's not a washed-up loan. He's someone who's been watched and wanted. I'll take these signings over payday players any day of the week. And Bev yeah. Jackson, Sherry Kirkham, Elaine Downs, all saying the same thing. Let's give him a chance. Quite happy with it. And there we go. There we go. Job right. done. Podcast over. Let's go to bed. Well, not yet, because we need to get some predictions for Saturday. All right. There you go. But let me see. I'm doing the commentary, so put that in, in, in record. <laughs> All right. Uh, what all, then? Oh, let's, 
I'm, I'm going to go for 3-2 to Rochdale. All right, high-scoring game again. I can see that. I think it might be a 2-1 victory to the Whites. one all. We're, oh, we're, yeah, we've not got a strong team at all, as mm. it stands. I think for the first time I might go 2-1 to Rochdale. All right, fair Get enough. Out. Sorry, Dan. Get out. <laughs> Get out. Well, one last thing to talk about just before we wrap up this week's edition. You can follow us on all the usual social media channels. We've got facebook.com forward slash Talking Trotters. It is at Talking Trotters if you want to give us a follow on Twitter. We're on Instagram, it's Talking Trotstagram. And finally, if you want to get in touch with us about any inquiries whatsoever, it is talkingtrotters at gmail.com. And that's it for yeah. this week. We do have a website and we're posting news updates now on the website. So cool. They'll be showed on the uh, Facebook and Twitter page. And on there as well, you can see a calendar of all the fixtures coming up, as well as where we are on all our different podcast sites. Well, that's pretty cool, isn't it? So, from all of us here, good night for you. Happy New Year. Good night. Good night.